well, let's see, how do I introduce this one? How about my book is about to come out just a few days away from the time of recording this, and I am nervous about all kinds of things, as you already know if you've listened to any of the other episodes. But I kind of wanted to focus on stage fright, which is just one element, but I thought it would be a fun one to talk through in this episode. Also, at about 17 minutes into the episode, my wife and I call Jackie Shannon Hollis. If you've been listening to Neurotic Tornado for a while, you know she was the host in season two and three of this show. And she had a a fabulous memoir that came out in 2019. And she did a lot of book readings. And I just kind of wanted to check in with her about how her book release process went. But before that, you're going to have to hear me and my wife talk about my stage fright and also a really weird peeing nightmare. So you have an upcoming event, right? June 7th, you have a reading at Powell's famous Portland bookstore. And this is the day your book comes out. Yes. So, I mean, this is a big deal for authors here in Portland. I see that it is a joy and an excitement to have your name on the marquee, right? And so I'm curious how you're feeling about an upcoming reading and, you know, having an audience, people coming to see you. You know, the cool thing about doing this podcast episode now is we've already covered obsession, foreboding. <laughs> Don't forget dread. A dread and foreboding. That was the dual one-two thing. Then chronic pain, depression, and anxiety. So now we have like a bunch of terms we can use that our very astute listeners will be familiar with. You know, my question was not like a multiple choice. <laughs> Well, so, so okay, so that's that's the long-winded backstory to say out of that potpourri of feelings. That melange. <laughs> nice. Is that a foreign word? <laughs> Keep going. Well, my word was foreign, too. Okay, <laughs> let's get to the fucking point. I, I, for sure, the anxiety is ramping up. Like, I'm getting very nervous about it. Like, every time I look at, like, what am I going to do, and I'm preparing some videos as well as reading from the book, as well as a conversation with a dear friend. I get moments of like, oh, this will be fun. I'm kind of excited. Mm. And then I think about it a little harder. And that's where the, oh, fuck. Like there are going to be a lot of people staring at me and it'll be horrifying if I screw up. So, um, you know, of course, like what's not in my head is these are lovely people from the Portland community who are supportive and they're, they want me to do okay. You know, so it's not like they're going to be throwing tomatoes at me, but all I, all I'm thinking about is like, Oh crap. Like stage fright stuff is, is, is brewing in me. So I've got the stage fright, but I've got some excitement about it. The video I'm preparing for that event talks a little bit about all this stuff, but it has a lot of dread. I was in a darker place when I made the video than how I feel now that it's, almost upon me. Yeah. So that video talked about the dread and fear and anxiety. And my level of dread isn't the same. Like, it's not like Hmm. this is some nightmare that is coming to haunt me. It's more like a public speaking event that has anxiety along with it in a almost normal-ish way. So so it's like I'm in a less dark place, but I'm also amped up. So it's it's a weird mixed bag. I don't know if this is too incoherent to um share on the mic. It's a it's a funny feeling because some ways it's better, some ways it's worse. I'm like higher higher anxiety than before, 
but the weird, dark, messy, foreboding feelings are not there either. Hmm. It's fun to ponder how I might entertain the audience in various ways, even if I know some of them might not go perfectly well. So there's, so you have some sense that you're like, I don't want to say in control, but that you're able to entertain the audience and even that you're making a video to go with it, you know, which kind of represents kind of who you are as a creator. I hope we're going to be doing a podcaster in the book reading as well. Oh, a live podcast. Yeah. Huh. That would be awesome to have to figure out a bunch more stuff in <laughs> addition you- to the fact that I'm going to be clicking a remote control while reading. And you could edit it live. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think that's not possible. <laughs> One of my recent panics was, what if I forget to thank you? I have a locksmith on call on speed dial, by the way, in case that happens. Nice. But there is a tier system of how many things I might regret to have forgotten to do. And at the top tier is like, what if I don't thank you? Mm-hmm. And that's not because of your locksmith connection, but more just, you know, I feel like we have such a good connection right now. Our relationship is good, but you've been so supportive to help make this possible yeah. um, on so many levels that it's like, if I if I don't thank you, that's really bad. And then there's like some family and then there's the de- closest, dearest friends. Yeah. Yeah. But all of that, I start, so I start to panic a little. Actually, maybe we need to have a discussion on panic some other time because yeah. I get panic and anxiety mixed up, even though they're slightly different. <laughs> TBD. Part of what, you know, my bag of tricks allows me to do is not all of it is real-time performance. Yeah, right. And that helps a little. Although now I'm actually just saying that makes me freak out. Like, what if Powell's AV system doesn't work right? So it's interesting. Like, as soon as you kind of say, I'm excited that I'm going to be able to entertain people and show this video, you immediately go, like, something could go wrong. What could go wrong? It could be the failure of the system, which is a really um, valid you know, system. Yeah. Probably everyone's been in a situation where they see that happen, like the teacher can't get something to work that they intended to. And Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely a laundry list of things I'm worried about that are some in my control, some less in my control. But I'm kind of digging it. Like, I, I like the idea of the possibilities. Like, I haven't met with the person Joanna Rose is going to be read or in conversation with me. Yeah. And we're going to meet up and talk about how we're going to approach that in a few days from the time of recording this. Yeah. And um, that's kind of fun to think of, like, how can we bullshit through a fun conversation? Yeah. And I love the idea that she'll be there kind of making me feel comfortable and safe because she's so uh, experienced at some of this stuff. So I don't know. And such a warm person. Yeah, just a sweet, kind person. So I'm all over the place, I guess, is the answer. And every hour, it's a little different. I'm curious, you know, you've had a reading at Powell's before. Ten years ago, almost. Ten years ago today. No, no. that's not true. That's no, yeah. like nine and a half years. What I love is in my book, the guy talks about how he he read to an audience his previous book ten years ago to a lukewarm audience, and mm-hmm. now the audience isn't even Luke cold, he says. Nice. And this is actually just sheer coincidence. I wrote that into the book five years ago. Oh. Now it actually is going to be like nine years in seven months or eight months Yeah, <laughs> since nice. my last Powell's reading. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Oh. So you had a reading um, 10 years ago. Do you remember how you felt before that? I can't remember so much how I feel. All I remember is that my friend, Bill, 
Ahu. Oh, yeah. If you know uh, Jackie Hollis, who used to host this show in season two and three. I don't acknowledge that. <laughs> uh, she, uh, her husband, Bill, he came up to me after the reading uh, and said, I hope you're taking all of this in. And I remember saying, yes, I am. <laughs> and I didn't realize I was lying. I Like at the time, yeah. I thought it was sincere. N- afterwards, I realized, like, no, I wasn't. I was so nervous and so freaked out about not wanting to screw up that I didn't take in a second of it. Like, I don't even know if I took an actual deep breath during the whole event. Yeah. So my goal this time is to take it in for maybe not the whole time, mm-hmm. but like for like a few seconds of just like, that's nice that yeah. uh, I get to do this. Even you're able to picture, you know, something you just said, like your fir- the first crowd you picture is like people that uh, are seeing you make a mistake. And then you immediately your brain goes like, no, the people in the crowd are going to be people I love and people that are there to support me or like warm, kind Portland book crowd, right? Even if you don't know them personally, they're there kind of with kind eyes. Yeah, it's not a a vicious press conference or anything like that, Right. right? But in my head, what I can say is that is worse than a bunch of strangers. Because when I do something embarrassing or shameful, the people closest to me and dearest to me will think less of me. My darker self can turn that into a drawback that my favorite people are in the audience. It's a real messed up thing. I don't know if you remember it. Like, There's been a few readings, not recently, because I haven't been out of the house a ton recently, but years ago when I did more readings... Uh, where you would ask, is it important if I come? And a few times I said, no, don't come. And some of that time it was because if I screw up, I don't want you to see mm. it. Like I want to, I want to be with a bunch of strangers who are like, yeah, that schmo fucked up. I don't, <laughs> I don't care. He means nothing yeah. to me. So, you know, it can get messy if I let it go down that dark path. Yeah, it's interesting because you know, there's one. Uh-huh. One framework where I could be there to support you, and if it doesn't go well, then someone who loves you is there, someone who loves you like me, is there to say, like, hey, no big deal, or um, it actually went better than you think, or something. But instead of thinking, I hope there's a safe person there for me, it's like you're kind of like you'd rather be alone and not have disappointed that person. It's like your anxiety drives away the support in a way. Yeah, right. And I can see myself, like there's pieces of me that like I could go down that path. And in other places, I can choose a different path. Choose is, you know, the ideal. Sometimes I can't choose. Yeah. But there is another path that is like, oh, these lovely people are here to support me. And if I stutter for three seconds, they're still here to support me. Yeah. Is this okay to take one dark turn before we... I was kind of surprised there hasn't been one, so... So this is insanely weird and dark and bizarre to to conjure up in this moment. But when I was young, I, I had a few illnesses where I would get really high fevers and I'd be a little delirious. And the thing was, I would go to sleep, you know, I'd have a fever of 103 or higher. I remember one particular one. And I'd wake up from the nap in a state of crazed madness. It was like I had woken up from a nightmare, like I had, you're going to have to pretend like you're just a kid 
kid kid mind here for a second. Like I had peed in the bed in this way that was like irredeemable. Like that, it, mm-hmm. I was at uh, I was at my aunt's house at the time, and it was I didn't pee in the bed, but it was as if like I had done that. And it was irredeemable, like the the mattress you could never use again, and they could never replace, like the whole room is ruined forever. Like it felt ridiculously extreme to me, Yeah, and they, they would never forgive me. My aunt would never oh. forgive me, and my mom would be so embarrassed about me, and um, they would never, ever want to see me again. And so I woke up with that feeling, and I remember uh, I worried about peeing in a bed, I had a a few mistakes in my childhood that made me really scared of that. So it was like that times a thousand is what I woke up with in that fever. And slowly over about 15 minutes, it would subside into normalness. Yeah. But that feeling really has stuck with me. So like when I think about messing up on stage, there's this worry that I will do something irredeemable Mm. and no one who is there will ever want to have anything to do with me again. It doesn't make any rational sense. Like there's nothing I can really realistically do to cause that. Yeah. But there's a, um, an inkling of that. If I were to say that that was like a traumatic moment in my childhood, yeah, I'm still carrying that fear and I have to kind of rein it in when that happens. And so stage fright has a little piece of that. Like mm. I will do something that is unforgivable. Yeah. Or I could. And people are going to be ashamed of you yeah. and embarrassed. Yeah. And and if the people I love see it, that's even worse. And in that early time when you had the fever and it took you 15 minutes to recover, was there someone there to help comfort you? You know, this is very fuzzy to me because I was in a yeah. delirious fever state as a child. But I remember the look in their eyes of like bewilderment. Uh-huh. Like, like they couldn't connect with me. It was more like, I don't know what is happening to this person. Oh, yeah. And so I don't know for sure if my mom tried to comfort me. I would assume she did. But what I remember is the look of confusion in their eyes. Yeah. Because I had, you know, I had just kind of ambushed them with a insane state of mind that they didn't expect. And I, what I remember isn't the comfort, it's the shock. Well, and I can picture that if a kid is saying, you know, I'm so horrified that I did this thing that, you know, part of you is like, you didn't do it. No, it's okay. You didn't do it. Not like, oh, I see you're hurting. Yeah. And I should clarify that I was kind of howling and crying in fear, like Mm -hmm. clutching my pillow that was sweaty, a sweaty mess from (laughs) sweat, from fever and crying and couldn't barely speak any words. So I was so freaked out. I, could, I couldn't even explain the absurd thing. I see. Um, so, you know, the, there was no way they could understand what the fuck was happening to me. Yeah. Other than emotionally looking at me. You know, there were no words to make sense of it that I could convey. Anyway, I think that is part of the fear I carry mm. when I present myself to people. And I can separate myself mostly from it, but it's never 100% clean. Yeah. The the end. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that's a powerful, traumatic experience. You know, I'm still kind of excited and giddy (laughs) about this moment. You know what I mean? Like, Uh I'm saying this dark shit, which, you know, I didn't expect to say out loud, but it's not a big chunk of me. It's just more than zero of me. Yeah, right. 
And so mostly I'm kind of excited and nervous in a way a normal person would be excited and nervous about a big event. Yeah. With a little bit more of an edge of anxiety and a little bit of this terror. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well... You know, I wonder as, um, since we've been talking about this kind of stuff, I wonder as this reading happens, just paying attention to what actually does happen and seeing. Oh, and I could report back. Yeah. Uh-huh. All the things I regret. And if I <laughs> right. pee all over the podium. Right. Right. And if you're here saying something like, Sherry's not here on the podcast because I forgot <laughs> to thank her. I'm living alone now. <laughs> In a a very crappy studio apartment, and no one wants to talk to me anymore because that thing I was afraid I would irredeemably say, I said. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so maybe to be continued, but thanks for coming up to the attic even on this busy, warm evening. Yeah, yeah, and I look forward to seeing your reading. We'll see about that. I I don't know if I gave you the correct address. So a little while after recording this episode, my wife and I called Jackie Shannon Hollis to find out what it was like for her to release her memoir with a focus on all the public speaking events she did related to her book. Let's see, what do you have to know in advance? Well, we reference her husband, Bill, a few times. Also, I didn't record this with the right settings in Zoom, so I'm sorry that Jackie's voice isn't as clear as it should be. I think that's all you need to know. So how about I cue some fake artificial phone call sounds and then we cut to the conversation. Hey. Hello. Look at you too. Hey, Jackie, I wonder if we could chat with you about something. You know, we were just talking about stage fright and these fears I have about how I come off in public. And so your book, This Particular Happiness, that fabulous memoir that I'll link to in the show notes, it came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. I feel like you handle everything pretty gracefully, but the public speaking really well. Although the only downside with your book is I believe your book caused COVID because the last event I went to uh, was one of your readings uh-huh. and then the whole world shut down. Shut down. Uh, days later. That's stage fright. Yeah. Now that's right. someone who's got now, I mean, fright. enough stage fright to cause a pandemic. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, like even before you had your very first reading or very first event, you know, I'm, I imagine there's some anxiety. I just wonder how you felt just even approaching that period of time? When it came to preparing for the the actual book events, I like public speaking. Yeah, Um, and you've been doing it for a while. Yeah, my prior careers, I've always had jobs where I had to get up and speak in front of people. And I like one of my favorite classes in high school was speech class and acting classes. And so, you know, I've really enjoyed that. But I've also almost every time, and I would say this happened with every single book event I had, was I would plan for it, have a pretty good idea of what I was going to do. And then in the, on the day of, have this feeling of, why, what the fuck did I do? Yeah. <laughs> like, why, why, I mean, just this kind of terrible feeling of, is it not going to go well this time? And do you remember, like, was you read at Powell's? Mm-hmm. And was that one of the earliest pieces of your book launch? It was the first. Well, I did a couple events before that that were uh, book fair kind of events or the American Library Association 
where you're standing behind a table talking to people about the books, which is my absolute least favorite thing to do. I'm yes. not good at it. It's Me. really hard. I feel awkward. I don't think I necessarily look awkward, but I feel very awkward and not very competent at it. And I don't think I sell books. I did one event like that. And the shift for me that was useful is to stop trying to think that I need to be a used car salesman and think of it more just like I'm into books talking to someone else who's into books. It didn't necessarily help me sell books better, but it helped me like the event better because I was like, oh, you like poetry. Don't buy my book. There's an amazing book of poetry right here that you should look at. But going back to the event, so that's interesting. So your, your anxiety... And your obsession was more around other stuff. And it wasn't until the day of the event that you were like, oh, fuck. But I assume the event was pretty well planned out, right? So it wasn't like you w- weren't prepared. Yeah, I was I was prepared. And once it started, I was in and present and enjoying it. My book was about being childless and being in a relationship with someone who didn't want to have children. And I did. And how we made our way through that. And so there are a lot of different pieces to the book. I mean, there was about being an aunt. There was about my relationship with my husband, Bill. There were a death of a child, a niece. And I did book events around these various topics and invited the people who are part of the story to be part of that event. I love my publisher for this because she said, I want you to really think about the kind of experience you want to have and what kind of experience you want to have the readers or the people attending these events to have. I have several friends who are actors and they told me, this is not about you. This is about the people who are here and about your book. And, and that you, you're here to give people an experience and they want you to succeed. They want you to do well. They're not there to find flaws or to criticize or to make you feel like shit. They're there hoping for you that you have a good experience because if you do, they also will have a good experience. And that, that was really helpful to me because it, it takes the spotlight off of you as carrying the entire burden. Although you kind of are, I mean, you've got to bring the energy, you know, you, but, but if you're outward focused versus inward focused, yeah. It makes a really big difference. You sound like their advice was to detach from the intimacy of or that it was such a personal story. Well, no, I wouldn't say that because it was definitely all those events felt really intimate. The Powell's event, which for me was just the highlight of the whole book mm-hmm. experience. I mean, it was such an exciting, fun, like there I was at Powell's, this thing that I had dreamed about. Impact. And in the room, you know, <laughs> a lot of people came, family and friends and people in, from the writing community. And I felt so much love in that moment. And it felt very intimate to me. And I remember one of the things I said is that I've always been a little bit embarrassed about how much I love people that's where my vulnerability is not because I can be hurt, but because there's a lot of irony in the world and I'm a bit gullible and in a, in some ways, like I'm earnest, I guess would be the word. That's what I'm thinking of. So anyway, I just really enjoyed that the Powell's event a lot. And I lost track of a lot of the things I was going to do down to forgetting to thank Bill 
and you know all these things, but I can tend to mess with things after the fact and feel bad, go back and be critical after the fact more than I am before worrying. I oh, yeah. I should have, I wish I would have. And I can shame myself in that way. And I've worked really hard with particularly the Powell's event, not to go back and try and find flaws, but to just remember that with that love. It is a detachment in the sense of my book is out in the world. And even though it's a memoir, it's no longer mine. It's the story of the readers. And so I don't have any control over that, what they do with it. And I'll tell you, people got entirely different things. There are people who said, oh, she's, you know, she says she's happy, but I don't think she is. I mean, I've looked at the reviews on Amazon, Goodreads. You're not supposed to do that, but I have some ridiculous things like, I didn't even really read this book, but I hated it. <laughs> and I mean, just like, okay, I, those things don't bother me. But what is interesting is the people who, who are child-free, who found, like, I was looking for someone who was happier, or people who are childless who found great amount of hope, or people who are in a relationship with someone who doesn't want to have children, and they're like, oh, it's going to be okay. And so I didn't have any control over that. And I had to really realize pretty early on that I I didn't have that control. So in that sense, there is a kind of detachment I think you have to have wow. when your book goes out into the world. You have to let go of what yeah. people do with it. Yeah, that's I so mean, interesting because your book is so personal and it's about you. You know, you're not even like at least with my books, I'm pretending that they're fiction, even though there's maybe more truths in there than I care to admit. There's no escape with memoir. And the events still were really intimate and personal. I mean, Bill and I did an event together where we talked about our relationship and you know, opened it to questions. And I did one with a friend of mine who I wrote about in the story where we had, I'd kind of broken up with her for 17 years while her, her son went from a boy, you know, baby to uh, an adult. And we did an event together and about friendship and about broken and healing friendships. And it was incredible, the responses of people that attended that, where they said, I want to go examine some friendships that I've let go of, Mm -hmm. um, and really think about what that, you know, what that was about, and what I want to do with that. Um, And so I think, you know, I think you can create intimacy, but also I think you have to protect yourself. I can see how my mind can like, savor and be nervous of some of the things you said like even like i love the idea of focusing on the audience but then there's another part of me that's like oh shit i'm responsible for their enjoyment or you know like i can see i go down this other path but the part that i think comforts that is when you you remind me that they want you to succeed they they're there because they want to hear that story so i have a question first for uv and then for jackie so 12 So after your last book release 10 years ago, like once you did a book reading, what happened to you after you, after it was over? It's a little hazy, but for me, I think there was a lot of delight because there was, there were some really fun moments in all of them. And everyone had a few things I could brood on not doing perfectly, you know, that I forgot to say this or do that, or the joke I had imagined I could tell didn't work right. So there was both the uh, regret and delight. Hmm. And I think my memories are mostly positive. I had a few awful ones where 
Like I remember one particularly in San Francisco where I played a video of me dropping my underwear in my book trailer. So it's like a guy standing on a desk dropping his underwear. You don't see any of the naughty parts, but you see his underwear fall and not one person in the audience smiled. You know, it was a small attendance and no one got my humor at all. That was awful. Okay, but all that to say, mostly it's good with a few bits of like, oh, I screwed that up. Mm. What about you, Jackie? A couple things were hard. When I had events that were just really hardly anyone there, it's just hard to bring energy into the room. I had a couple of them that were pretty small. And, you know, and it, and it's it's like, and particularly if you've gone out of town. Yeah, that's there. hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that's that was a challenge. I also had an event. The one that I've I've sort of thought about the most was I did this book event with my cousin whose daughter had died at 19 years old. And I wrote about this in the book and that it was right at the point in my life where I was really beginning to completely let go of the idea of having like just okay, I'm I'm I know my life is going to be okay without children. And when I watched her go through the grief of the death of her daughter, you know, I mean, I just going into that, I, I, I had this awareness of, oh, you know, I'm kind of glad I, you know, yeah, I think, you know, if I had a child, I, there's that potential kind of pain. And so I read this piece at the reading, and then my cousin Patty wow. talked as well. And there was a woman in the audience who was just clearly angry at me. And she said, I am so upset about what you read and that you would say that you're glad you didn't have a child. She says, I have a child. I think her child had a mental health issue and I would never not have had my child as horrible as it has been. And so you have, you have no idea what you're talking about because you haven't had a child. And, you know, inside was just like, Maybe Chris Rock after he was slapped, just like, oh, <laughs> man, I got to find a way to keep myself together here. Wow. And I just acknowledged, you know, like I acknowledged her and said, you know, I can see you feel really strongly about this and you have every right to. And my intention is not to minimize the life of my cousin's daughter, Amber, or your child. I just know that that was my feeling that made it my situation more okay for me in that moment. But I have thought about that so much and thought about the fact that it's in my book that no one else has ever really said anything like that. But it really struck me quite deeply that there was a level of insensitivity on my part in writing that and feeling that, you know, that it twisted it for me in a way that I thought, Ugh, I don't know, I, I, I still sort of muddle over it. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there's that one moment where it's very personal, right? It's not, they're not just saying, I hated this character you made, but like, what a terrible person you are for having said that. And you don't know, like, because you're not, because you're childless, you don't know. Uh Also, it's interesting because I think you're not supposed to say, you know, you're never supposed to say you love one of your children more than another. And you're not supposed Mm -hmm. to say maybe it'd be better if we never had this kid or, you know, and yet you cannot be the only person. I mean, it seems like there's a recognition of like, that is a really huge amount of pain. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I don't have to go through that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's even tougher than somebody not being pleased with the event because they were unhappy with your life decisions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is an intense layer. In the time I wrote my book, so much has happened. You know, it's like the pandemic and then all of Trump's presidency, all that happened after most of my book was written. You know, I've done edits since then, but, you know, the the bulk of it was done beforehand. You know, looking at it now, some of the things looks a little different. Does this reflect 2022 or does it reflect 2015 or how we think about all this stuff? But anyway, over and over again, go like, Am I insensitive? I'm sure people are going to pluck out things that are insensitive about it. And, yeah. you know, I'm curious how I respond, but it'll be hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if you can go into it knowing, like, the one thing, like, the this woman's comment did stick with me. I, I think I just was aware of her level of pain and a certain kind of insensitivity on my part. Like, I, oh, I didn't think of it that way. And so I, so I think that it's there, but I, I just have kind of a certain level of detachment. I think that I've had generally in my life that often doesn't serve me, but in this case really did serve me to be able to just feel a little bit out of remove. I think that there are even things I think you can do to separate yourself from that. Like, okay, I'm going to read this review, but I'm going to put an imaginary cotton veil around me. So yeah. that I see the words, but the, you know, the spears or whatever don't come in. It's not a very good metaphor, but you know what I mean? That you're like, that's that one person's takeaway. Everyone's entitled to take away what they read. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and you have to do that because we're all so different. And so everyone's going to bring, you know, their own thing. I mean, it, it, you can't, you just cannot control people's responses. Yeah. I think writers have to make a decision, particularly say a novel, like I'm. I, this is set pre-pandemic and pre-Trump and all these various things. And then you just commit to this is where the novel is. Or if it's in a nebulous time, a lot of people want to read stuff that doesn't have reality in it. And I think it's a relief. It's escape. It's an escape from that. We need that. We don't need to be reminded when we're diving into this world that you've built of something that's not necessary to the story. Yeah. So I, I don't think you're going to like the updated draft that I posted on my website where I added the word COVID-19 to <laughs> every single page of my novel for if people want a revamped version. It says COVID-19, Roe versus Wade, Supreme Court, and, and Ukraine and uh, critical race theory are on every single page. So if you want to read that version. I really appreciate how open you are about your interior process because I think it creates a kind of safety for people to know that their own hidden interior process is not that unusual and not something to be, you know, because I think that a lot of people go through some of these things. They're just not, as conscious of the dialogue that's going on inside their sort of their second attention. Yeah. And it's only sometimes when I tune into them or occasionally if I get stoned, I'm like, Oh my God, I have been had this voice going on in the background that I've not been aware of. 
and, and I'll be aware of it and of letting it go. It's like this weird experience, but it makes me aware of how self-critical I am on an unconscious basis. Wow. So let me just make sure I understand this. When you get stoned, you're more aware of this dialogue. Oh, yeah. cool. And able to let it go. I'm like, oh my God, I've been beating myself up and not even aware of beating myself up. Yeah. Because I feel this sense of it relieves it, it shuts it down for a while. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I need to get stoned more often. I, I've been using it for migraines, but it's interesting to find the sweet spot where you can review your thought process. I guess I yeah. had a little of that. but yeah. I have a similar process, but the voice is just going like... <laughs> <laughs> that, if I get stoned. That, that so. is accurate. <laughs> It's fabulous chatting with you. Any final words? I'm so excited to be sitting in the audience at Powell's. And I know you're going to put on a really, really great. I have high expectations of you, UV. <laughs> Wait a second. No. Yes, you know, I, I really, I am excited about your book. And I, and, you know, I think I, Bill has mentioned to you that he's reading it. I, I think it's such a great book and I can't wait till people have oh, it in their hands. Thank you. And you've, you've, you've helped me across many, many drafts of this book over the past number of years. <laughs> Jackie, I just want to encourage you. If there's something you don't like about the reading or you feel like he makes a misstep, just boo, like make a boo as a signal. <laughs> Boo, and then uh, send it to me as a text or, you know, something that I can store in a document and refer to. Okay, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to shame yourself later. Yeah, and like, did she really boo? Yeah, she did, because then later she texted me explaining why she booed. <laughs> okay, bye. Great well, to great see to you. see you, Jackie. See oh. ya. Yeah. Bye. Bye.